0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Well Church Saturdays podcast. We pray that you enjoy this message and that it creates a well of hope in your life today. I saw a huge treasure map like at the front of the sanctuary. It took over this whole space here and it looked exactly like you would expect it to look. You know, a treasure map has, you know, on parchment, you know, the brown... Parchment paper. It was up there and it had like the dotted line that showed the path, you know, toward the treasure. And then at the end, where the treasure was, was a giant red X. Then all of us, after seeing the map, all of us began filing in the church and everyone coming in the door one at a time. And on the front of everyone's chest, right over their heart, was a matching red X that matched the spot on the map. And I think it was just the Lord reminding us how special we all are. Just a reminder that He takes delight in every one of us and we are all treasures to Him. Just a good reminder for all of us to think about and be encouraged.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for coming out. If you could open your Bibles or navigate your phones over to Ephesians chapter one. This month, or maybe I should say for the next month or so, or maybe a little longer. We're going to be focusing on worship. You may have noticed some changes to the room. We were able to make some space up here. We've made some space in the back, but we filled it again, so we'll unfill it. And we're trying to allow space for people who want to be expressive during worship. If you want to be by yourself, if you want to lay on the floor, if you want to kneel, whatever, we're trying to make that space available. So we did condense our seating. We moved the band back and we made that space we're just trying to make room for different expressions of worship and we're refocusing on one of our core values. This church has six core values. Most of you are familiar with them. I'm going to go over them in a second. But as we begin talking about worship today, we, we listed this value as value number one and that was intentional. We value the presence of God. Without the presence of God, we are just a social club. Moses was willing to look like a failure and stay in the wilderness if the presence of God wasn't going with him into the promised land. So we intentionally linger in worship and allow the Holy Spirit to lead. I'm going to read that again. We value the presence of God. Without that, we're just a social club. Moses was willing to look like a failure and stay in the wilderness if the presence of God wasn't going with him. We intentionally linger in worship in order to allow the Holy Spirit to lead. We also value the Word of God. We also value every generation. These are the other core values. You'll never be too old or too young to do what the Lord called you to do here. We are full of hope. We are generous. And we value community. But today we're focusing on the presence of God. So we value the presence of God. Without that, we're just a social club. If we gather without engaging the Holy Spirit, we might as well lift weights, play checkers, or exchange cookie recipes. We're just a social club. We're just a gathering around a subject, but not a gathering around a person. Typically, we gather around the presence of God. We have a few announcements, and then we gather around the Word of God. And then at the end, there's time for community, for visiting. I don't know if you guys know, but people are usually here pretty late. And that's okay. They're just hanging out God's given us this great space, let's use it. So we have the opportunity to to put priority on a lot of things, but the center of what we do is the presence of God. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they camped around the presence of God. The presence of God was in the center. Also, Moses was willing to look like a failure and stay in the wilderness if the presence of God wasn't going with him into the promised land. You can read this on your own in Exodus chapter 33, but it records a conversation between Moses and God. And God tells Moses he's had it with the people and he's going to send an angel with them to take them into the promised land, but he's not going. So Moses said, I'd rather stay here in the desert with you than go into the things you prepared for me. I'd rather be here in the wilderness with you than go into the promised land without you. And this is one of the things that I like to think about. Moses stood up in Egypt. He was well-known in Egypt. He stood up and he said, God is going to deliver these people to a promised land. Everybody knew this was his reputation. This was his goal. He was willing to lay all that down to look like a failure to hang out with the presence of God, to stay with the presence of God. And that's what we've also said. And this is really a non-negotiable. We know that there are different seasons in the future of this church, probably different sizes, different styles, different models. And they very well may be the next season the Lord's calling us into, but we don't want to head into those seasons, into those promised lands, without the presence of God going with us. It's very important to remember this because there's lots of unsolicited advice and lots of church strategy growth plans that say just have a normal service and you'll be funded. Lots of people will come and then you can take the few people that want to into deep dives with the Lord. And I'm not saying we're doing something that hasn't been done before and I'm not saying other churches aren't doing this and I'm not saying we have to reinvent church. But if there isn't a value in the presence of God... It's not worth doing. And this really is, like I said before, not negotiable. We've had people come in. They love the church. They love the people. They love the word. And they say, hey, I don't know what you're doing during worship. I don't know what you're singing. I don't know what you're doing. I'm going to go somewhere I know the words. And that's okay. Go where you want to go. Go know the words. But if you want to Be led by the Holy Spirit, live by the Holy Spirit, you have to allow room for not knowing. So I would rather meet to exchange cookie recipes than worship without the Holy Spirit in the moment. And that's why we intentionally linger in worship to allow the Holy Spirit to lead. So, in order to worship with the Holy Spirit, what do you need? The Holy Spirit. All right? So I've titled this message, The Holy Spirit in You. All of my note takers, I jokingly say, go straight to heaven. Hopefully you've written something down already, but right at the top of your page, The Holy Spirit in You. Honestly, if, if we're not writing down some key points, taking a note in our phone, revisiting the podcast, we don't remember what was said last week. Right, so write something down, try to apply it to your life. This week, just a quick side note. Earlier in this week, somebody contacted Kathy because they found our podcast on a list of podcasts. The list of podcasts was entitled The Best House of Worship Podcasts. So somebody out there in Internet land is recommending us to their friends as one of the best houses of worship. So we found that to be pretty encouraging, pretty cool. It may have been AI. I don't know, but we are on a list. The Best House of Worship Podcasts. Alright, so the Holy Spirit in you, you should already be in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is a meaty portion of Scripture. It also has been hotly debated over one phrase. And that one phrase has really been a big distraction from the other truths outlined in this passage. And I'm going to share with you guys one of the tools that I use. I'm being pretty vulnerable right now, but this is one of the tools that I use to understand the Bible. When I read it and I have questions or I have no idea what it's saying... I will use multiple translations of the Bible. But there is one particular translation that I love to use when I do not understand. And I use it as a parallel, which means I put the two next to each other. If you're on your computer or you're you're on a tablet, it's a click and you get a parallel. It's pretty awesome. But this is one of my favorite parallels, and I'm going to explain why in a second. It's called the New Century Version, the NCV. And here's why... I found the NCV to be such a good study tool. It is written on a fifth grade reading level. (laughs) All right? So the New Sensory Version of the Bible is a revision of the International Children's Bible. Maybe you want to write that one down too. That's a third grade reading level. And what they did was they made the International Children's Bible a little more complicated and brought it up to a fifth grade level. And I'm not saying we aren't smarter than a fifth grader, but we typically understand things explained on a fifth grade level. So everybody, check out the NCV. You will find things in there that you go, huh, I'm not sure. That's why we use it in parallel. But also it makes things really clear. So you're in Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. This is the New King James Version. And it says, in Him, we have obtained an inheritance. Not complicated so far. We all like that. In Him, Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. And then it says something that we don't understand. And it says, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And it's that phrase right there that sparks the controversy, and mostly because we don't understand what it's trying to convey. My friends in high school, and I'm sure your friends too, my friends in high school really like to discuss this. Maybe a hot argument is a more accurate description. And it was all because one girl and her church, this was their thing. So this came up every time we cracked open the Bible. And here's the argument. If God predestined you, then you had no choice but to come to Him to be saved. And that also means that some people were predestined not to be saved. And this conclusion presents a few challenges that will really hinder what God wants to do in people. Any Christian struggling to live as a Christian in any season might just say, Oh well, I guess I wasn't chosen by God. This isn't worth my effort and time. And people will also not share Jesus with certain people that they deem not to be chosen of God. And here's where the real problem begins. When people don't understand this verse, because God creating people to suffer in life, to suffer in their sin and to perish is not an accurate reflection of the nature of God. This conclusion people draw is also opposite to what we read clearly in other parts of the Bible. For example, 2 Timothy 2.4 says, God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So predestined must not mean what we think it means. It really ha- must have more to do with, with God knowing who will choose Him than it does with Him deciding who can choose Him. Thankfully, we aren't saved for the rules of religion, but for a loving relationship that does cause us to want to live like Jesus. We aren't competing with each other for a limited amount of spaces in heaven, but helping each other thrive here and get there. And that is something I want to be really clear before we move on. You are loved and accepted by God in all your brokenness and failures. But now that you're in a relationship with God, He wants you to grow out of that. He's not going to love you conditionally on your growth, but His desire is for you to grow. And it isn't likely you'll be perfect, but we should be becoming better. So Ephesians one eleven in the New King James Version again says, In Him we have also obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of His glory. Now, guys, that's still a little rough. Still a lot there that's kind of hard to grasp when you read it. So listen to it in the New Century Version. Verse 11, God always does what He plans. And this is why He appointed Christ to choose us. A little better than predestined. God does what He planned. So he appointed Jesus to choose you. And he did this so we would bring honor to him and be the first ones to have hope because of him. Verse 13, Christ also brought you the truth, which is the good news about how you can be saved. You put your faith in Christ and were given the promised Holy Spirit to show that you belong to God. Verse 14, the Spirit also makes sure that we will be given what God has stored up for His people. Then we will be set free and God will be honored and praised. So those last verses are why we read all of this today. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, and the starting point is this. When you received Jesus, you were also given the Holy Spirit. You can't have one without the other. Some people pretend or don't believe the Holy Spirit is moving today, but trying to live as a Christian without the Holy Spirit will limit our Christian experience. So let me read the end of verse 13 again. You put your faith in Christ and you were given the promised Holy Spirit. You put your faith in Christ and you were given the promised Holy Spirit. Why? And the verse goes on to say, to show that you belong to God. You put your faith in Christ and you were given the promised Holy Spirit to show that you belong to God. Verse 14, the Spirit also makes us sure that we will be given what God has stored up for His people. Then we will be set free and God will be honored and praised. Some of you guys might not trust my newfangled version, so I'm going to read that in the NIV. When you were believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So there's a piece of this puzzle that has to do with other believers placing their hands on you and praying for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not our focus today. When you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit to show that you belong to God. Verse 14 again, the Spirit also makes us sure that we will be given what God has stored up for His people. The Spirit makes us sure that we'll be given what God has stored up for His people. Then we will be set free and God will be honored and praised. So the Holy Spirit that is in you is working to make sure that you receive everything God has for you. Then you will live free, and God will be honored and praised. He has other roles and purposes in your life as well, but one of the main things the Holy Spirit will do in your life, and He's doing in the life of every believer, is transforming us to be more like Jesus. Every day, all day long, the Holy Spirit is working to mature every Christian to be more like Jesus. Uh, turn over to Colossians chapter one. In Colossians chapter one, Paul shares what the end goal of his ministry is. This is what he would like to see as a result of all his suffering and effort. I'm going to pick it up in verse 27. Again, it's Colossians 1:27. "To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery." which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, He, Christ, is the one we proclaim. Admonishing. Admonishing means correcting. He, Christ, is the one Paul proclaims. He is admonishing, which means correcting, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. So he's doing all this, and the reason he's doing this is so that we may present everyone fully mature, in Christ. And then he says in verse 29, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The goal of the Christian life is maturity, and a mature Christian looks like Jesus. And this is something the Holy Spirit is working in each of us every day. I'm not talking about your salvation. Your salvation is instantly placed when you receive Jesus sacrifice and you are instantly put in a right relationship with God but there's another word that we don't often talk about in our modern culture and that word is sanctification sanctification is the process of each of us growing to look like Jesus I wanted some clarity here so I looked it up in the Webster's dictionary don't have time to go into this but He was a Christian, so when he's defining Christian words, he's defining them correctly. Sanctification. It says in Webster's Dictionary, the state of growing in divine grace as a result of Christian commitment. Sanctification is you growing in divine grace as a result of Christian commitment. It even mentions after baptism or after conversion. So it's a process that happens after you come to Jesus. And a lot of people think you receive Jesus and that's it. Just wait around for death or for him to come back. But that's not what we read in the Bible. We just had read how Paul contended with not just his energy, but with supernatural energy Christ gave him. He used the word contended. That's not a nice passive word. Contended is a pushing working word. We're going to watch, some of you guys will watch a bunch of men run into each other and contend this afternoon. There's, there's some effort there. So we read how Paul contended with not just his energy, but with supernatural energy. And the Bible says he's doing this because he wants to present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is the role of the Holy Spirit as well. And this is the question we have to ask. Is our focus to add people to the church to see our number grow or to see the people that are here maturing and becoming more like Jesus? Turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. When I read this, ask yourself if this is something that feels like it was written to you. Is it something that's true for you Is it something that's true for people today? The context of this passage, many of you have a heading in your Bible. The heading says the church and its leaders. And in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, it says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. I want you to Picture the word mature after that. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ, immature. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, as mature people, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Paul's basically saying, hey, look, I wanted to have a mature conversation with you about weighty things, but you aren't mature. You have not grown you aren't living by the Spirit. You are still worldly. Verse two I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Here's the kicker this is why he says they're immature. Verse three You are still worldly, since there is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Mere humans acting like people who don't know Jesus. The next time you're having a discussion with an unbeliever or a believer acting immature, maybe just call them a mere mortal. (laughs) Notice what they are doing that is immature. Jealousy and quarreling. We don't do that. Not around here. We don't do that, right? It doesn't happen. It's actually happening more than I care to admit. It's not a ton. It's not a huge problem. But it is a problem if the environment we created together is helping people stay immature. Being jealous and quarreling and doesn't push people into mature, spirit-led living. I don't know if you ever noticed this. Those of you guys that have your bulletin, go ahead and open it up. Look at that giant word, welcome. Welcome. And it says, we're so glad you're Hey, someone left me one. Hey, we're so glad you're here. And then it says, the well is a community of believers committed to pursuing and facilitating life-changing encounters with Jesus that lead to godly, mature, counterculture, spirit-led way of living. I don't think I read this when I wrote that. And we've been putting this out every week. Occasionally it's not there because the person that's leading worship has too many song words. It doesn't usually happen unless Kathy's leading worship, but that's okay. So, so yeah, we've had some jealousy and quarreling here. The very thing that Paul said defined people as baby Christians, immature, not living by the Spirit, but living like the world. Mere humans. Sometimes that does happen here. So I recently heard this recording of a town hall, and the town hall was in a a city really close to us. I'll just tell you. It was in Philadelphia, and it was parents taking the school board to task. And one of the members of the school board, he kept saying these things, and he was quoting leadership quotes, but they were all from movies. I was like, has this guy read a book, or is he just quoting movies? So, you know, this parent's like, what are you going to do to change so my kid can learn and be safe? And this guy's like, attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Which is a really great movie quote, and you might find it in a, in a leadership book, um, but it's true. It's a true thing that attitude reflects leadership. So if we have an environment that lets people remain immature, we do have to look at leadership. And not just me, Kat, and the other leaders. But if there's jealousy and quarreling, we failed to create an environment that produces maturity in everyone that comes here. The first scripture we read today, Paul said he wanted to present everyone as mature. He was going for 100%. I think we should go for 100% too. All right. So if we have immature behavior of jealousy and quarreling, then me and we... And all of us as leaders need to figure out why we aren't seeing people that call this their church home becoming more led by the Spirit, which was how Paul defined mature, and being a clearer reflection of Jesus. Immaturity in people that should have matured is not just this church problem. It's a very modern church problem. And we just read it, it's an ancient church problem. And I think I found a visual... To show you guys where I think the disconnect has been for many people. It is called the invitation challenge matrix. This is the invitation challenge matrix. I'm going to explain this. One of the things that I love about us is we are super high invitation. We are doing high invitation well. Now, when I say this, Don't think, I mean, you invite everybody you know to church. What I'm saying is, you invite the people that are here into your life. You invite the people that are here to be part of here. We are not a church that says, okay, new person, after you're around for a while, maybe I will open myself up to you. I watch visitors come in, and many of you guys open yourself up. And if you're here week after week after week, people learn your name, They ask how you're doing. They learn if you have pets, children, what you do. Like, this is high invitation. You are included in the body here. And I think we do that. I mean, there's always room for improvement in every area. But when we say invitation, we're talking about that. Now, there's a thing called low invitation, which would be the opposite. Do X, Y, and Z, and maybe we'll include you. Or you're not going to be included. Or we are a giant clique. We didn't actually want you to come in. This is a closed church, just us, nobody else. Nobody comes and nobody goes, right? Because we're mere mortals. We're not spirit-led. Anyway, so, and then there's this thing where we make a matrix that makes four quadrants and the division here is challenge. Low challenge over here, high challenge over here. And this is what you think. Does the church challenge you to be like Jesus? Do they ask things of you? Do they say, hey... This is what the Bible says. We think we should do it. Or do they say, Hey, you're cool. Don't do anything. Wait around for Jesus to come back. So you have these different quadrants. So this one would be high invitation, low challenge. And this creates, this creates a a cozy culture. Everything is okay. I'm going to give you some phrases I use that fit in this culture. Just find whatever place you want to worship the Lord. You don't have to stand. You don't have to engage. You can just watch. Be cozy. And a lot of churches are like this. And what I will tell you is, a lot of people want a church like this. And a lot of churches, this is their niche, and they're doing their best. So guys, we're not standing in the place of judgment. We're assessing ourselves. Okay, so over here you have low invitation, low challenge. This is going to create an apathetic culture. People don't care. They don't try. We're going to say this is a boring church. Come if you want to. Come once a month. We're not going to let you be part of the family really, and we're not going to ask you to do anything. All right, so then over here we have a a high challenge, low invitation culture. This is gonna be stressful. This is a discouraged culture. This is, we have a million rules. If you jump through all these hoops, maybe we'll accept you. So I'm gonna go ahead and write stressful here. And then the fourth quadrant, this is high invitation. You're welcome and accepted, not based on your behavior, but we are going to challenge your behavior. And we call this an empowered culture that actually leads to discipling. All right, now, this is a really interesting graphic, and, and I'm going to share some more things about it with you. And this is where most of the church has been, and the trouble with that is Jesus is over here. So I'm going to put Jesus here. You know who else? We were just reading a lot of Paul. Paul's over here. All right. The Holy Spirit's over here. Okay. You are accepted. You are loved. Your future looks brighter than your present. These are all statements we agree with and were made here. But there's also a place over here where the Lord wants to grow you and have you be more like Jesus. And I want to share something that's really interesting is that in our culture, our culture has come out and said to us that this is it. You must love and accept me and how dare you challenge me. Because if you challenge me, then you no longer love me. But again, this is Jesus. And we're going to look at some examples of Jesus doing this in a second. In our culture though, everyone gets to choose their own challenge. But we have a whole Bible that's challenging us. All right. So something interesting I want to share with you guys. We talked about how sometimes jealousy and quarreling happens here. Sometimes. Not often. Okay? And I want, this is something interesting I observed. When that happens, when it gets to me, there's usually already a body laying on the floor when, by the time someone tells me about it. Okay? But when it gets to me, what I've learned is somebody who wants to live here It's jealous of somebody who is living here. So I want you guys to think about that. I'm not, listen, I'm not specifically thinking of you right now. So please get that out of your head. Okay? (laughs) If you want to come here and be here, that is great. I love that you come here. But if you want to come here and be here, I almost need to know. Because what tends to happen, and I could give you guys the long, long list of people that I said, hey, could you help us out with this? And then like a week later, they're like, hey, the Lord told me to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so this is why these churches stay here. Because over and over again, when they challenge people, the people will leave. So, would we rather have a giant church, a full building, or a church full of people becoming more like Jesus? Just so you guys know, those are wonderful people that left. I do love them. I greet them at Walmart. I check in on them. They call me when they have a crisis. It's great. But anyway, all right. But when I challenge them with something Jesus said, or maybe something in their life that was going to harm them, or, hey, could you help out with this? Would you volunteer and do this thing? They found another church. And one of the things that always amazes me is how people want to hear how much Jesus loves them, that their future's bright, that their sins are forgiven, but the same people freak out when you open the Bible and tell them what God wants them to do with their money. I want to quickly look at two examples of how Jesus was high invitation and high challenge. Go ahead and turn over to John chapter 8. You guys will be familiar with this story. It's one of the best examples of Jesus doing this. Verse 2. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him. And I want you to see this. This is not, we've, when I read this story, I've always pictured it as Jesus, maybe a couple disciples, Pharisees. But actually, all the people came to him. That's probably lots of people. It's a group of people. If it was three people, it would probably say there was three people there. And it might name them. So there's people there. And Jesus is in the temple, and the people came to Him. So just picture whatever size crowd, all the people is more than a couple people are there. And He sat down and He taught them. So Jesus is having church. He's doing His thing. Verse 3, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to Him a woman caught in adultery, And when they had set her in the midst, so here you go, there's a crowd of people or a group of people listening to Jesus, and they bring this woman, and they throw her in front of all the people. And realize they're not just exposing her sin to all the people, which is bad enough. They also expect instant capital punishment. Hey, this lady's sin, let's kill her. Pretty uh, low invitation, high challenge, huh? And they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? And they said, testing him, that they might have something in which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, He raised himself up and said to them, He who was without sin among you, let him throw the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted in their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. So everybody left. The people that were there for church were like, I'm out. Just Jesus and the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. High invitation. Go and sin no more. High challenge. Jesus accepts this woman, rescues her from her situation, and challenges her to stop sinning. Turn over to John 4. I am, I am wrapping up the message and then we'll worship Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he's tired, so he sits by a well. So we're going to pick this up in verse 7. You can read the whole thing on your own. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His dis- verse 8, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So what is a Samaritan, and why don't Jews associate with them? There is a difference in skin color, and that might have been part of the reason, but there's another reason that has to do with that Samaritans practiced their own version of Judaism. They lived by part of the Jewish law, but not all of the Jewish law. They adapted the law when it was convenient for them, and then hundreds of years have gone by, and they're sort of Jewish, but not Jewish at all. And this is sort of like your Christian friend or coworker or your president that professes Christ, but keeps doing the opposite of what the Bible says. And some of this actually comes up later in the passage. So here comes the high invitation part. Jesus answers this woman. If you knew the gift of God, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. He's like, hey, ask me for living water. Ask me for what you actually need. He's inviting her. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it as also did his sons and livestock? In verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. And the de- indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there's more invitation. I can give you what you actually need. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. So here's the high challenge. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say there's no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. So Jesus is now challenging her lifestyle while still inviting her to him. He doesn't approve or accept sin or change his belief system to make her feel loved. He is loving her while challenging her. She then asks a question about Jewish-Samaritan dynamic. You guys can look that up on your own. I'm going to skip down to verse 23. To continue showing you how Jesus lovingly challenged this woman and also how he will lovingly challenge, highly invite us and high challenge us about worship today. Verse 23 Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So, is the worship that Jesus just described? Do whatever you want. Sit, stand, who cares? Just observe. It's fine. Just hang out. No, it's not. Now, participate or not, Jesus will still accept you. That's true. But what Jesus is defining here is the worship the Father would prefer. The time has now come, because Jesus was talking about this time, the time has now come when true worshipers will, it doesn't say unless they're tired or don't know the song, it says true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God, His Spirit, and His worshipers must, not can or might, They must worship in spirit and in truth. There's both invitation and challenge from Jesus for us here. And I want you to keep that in mind in a few minutes when we move into our worship time. But I do want to finish up the story and show you the results of Jesus inviting and challenging the Samaritan woman. So verse 25, the woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There's more invitation, like come to know this. So look what happens in verse 27. The disciples rejoined Jesus. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? But look how they're reacting to this woman. They're coming low invitation. You shouldn't be talking to her. What's going on? We'll stand over here. So then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Then there's this awkward conversation with the disciples you can look at on your own. But what you need to know is Jesus was fasting. And he throws down another, disciples, another challenge for the disciples. But I want us to stay focused on the challenge around worship. So skip down to verse 39 and listen to the results of inviting and challenging someone. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Her testimony was, he told me, everything I ever did. Now, we don't really know her circumstance. She may have been a victim to have this happen, and and we want to consider that. But he told her of sin. He didn't tell her, I remember when you were having a picnic with your mom. He said, I know you're living with a man that's not your husband. And her testimony is he challenged her. He challenged my sinful lifestyle and he loved me anyway. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves and we know this man is really the Savior of the world. So we're going to move into our worship time. But I do think there needs to be a moment where we apply a little of what we heard to ourselves. And I want you to think about living mature, becoming more like Jesus, living Spirit-led. Have you noticed the process of maturing in your life? Or are you at the same place you were that you were last year and the year before and the year before that? Or even when you became a Christian? Maybe the maturation process has stalled out at some point during your Christian walk. So this church is three years old. Have you matured in the last three years? Is the reason you're not maturing because no one is challenging you? Are people allowed to challenge you? Is leadership here allowed to speak into your life and ask you to mature, maybe to volunteer? maybe to participate, maybe to sow. And I know some of you guys have had negative experience with manipulation from church leadership. And I want to share with you that church leadership has had negative experiences with people they've sacrificed for to include that said by their actions, if you challenge me to grow, I will go somewhere else. And this is something that needs to be resolved if we're going to be a church that pushes people to godly, mature, counterculture, spirit led way of living. So, my commitment to you is that anything I challenge you with will be right out of the scripture. I'm not going to come with my own ideas that you should do something. And there's two quick things I want to challenge you guys with today, and then we're going to move into our worship time. And I would like to have permission to challenge you there as well. The first challenge is for anyone here that has been unchallengeable. Again, I'm not thinking of anyone specific. You need to work this out on your own. Living in this place of don't ask me to do anything. I am what I am and I'm not changing. I can't change. There really is a place for you to repent this morning. You and the Lord just invite Him to challenge you and to put people in your life that will challenge you. Then actually be open to being challenged. The second response is a little more personal. And again, this is a big thing to ask. And listen, if you don't want to do it, you can be here. I love you. I want you to come. We're going to be doing some challenging things. You can still come. But this is a big thing to ask. And And it's a little more personal. And if you're part of this church and you want to be challenged, and listen, you retain your right to say no to me. You retain your right. If I say, "Hey, I felt like this, and I think it'll work out if you do this," you can be like, "No," and I'm gonna be like, "Hey, this is still me. All right, but I, I I need permission to speak, and so do other leaders and other people here. Have permission to bring a challenge without you taking the culture of the world that says if you challenge me, you don't love me." If you are open to being challenged, retaining your right to say, no, that's not me right now. It's okay. You're still loved. You might still be here. I could still be wrong. I'm big enough to admit that. I would love permission. Not everybody has to do this. Feel free to email me and just say, hey, if you challenge me, I might say no, but I'm not going to leave because of that. I can leave because God's calling me somewhere else. I can leave because God's launching me into my future. But I'm not going to leave because I'm mad because you asked me to participate in worship. Matt at com. Just give me permission to challenge you. You retain the ability to say no. It's not a lifetime commitment. There's loads of good reasons God might move you somewhere else. I want to be part of that process. I'm a sender. If you're moving to Africa to start a church, let's go. If you feel like another church is going to care for you better, let's go. It's weighty, but if we can walk through it, we can create a culture that we actually need to make us everything God created us to be. So we're going to move into our worship time. Everybody stand up, give a stretch. All right, so Father, we thank You for what You've laid before us this morning we ask that we would be a people that truly follow you in worship, that we can move with your spirit. So guys, uh, do I have permission to challenge you in worship this morning? So go ahead and stand up, close your eyes, begin to focus your heart on the Lord. Maybe some of you guys aren't singers, maybe you're not comfortable in that sphere but uh, I want to challenge you to open your mouth to sing the words to the song this is actually a model that people use to engage the Lord well before Jesus came we have a whole book of Psalms that, that people sang together before the Lord in the temple so here's what Jesus challenged us with As we worship, he said, The time has now come when true
2: worshipers will Worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of the worshipers the Father seeks. And then he said, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him In spirit and in truth. And I want you to consider what that means. It means that we're open and honest before the Lord, that we allow the Holy Spirit in us to be part of the process. So go ahead and continue to close your eyes, lift your hands. Don't look around at what everyone else is doing. Just begin to thank the Father for the invitation, for the unconditional love, and also embrace the challenge. We wanna worship you in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of worship that you see. Just begin to lift your voice before the Lord. Release a sound. love. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is working in each of us to make us more like Jesus. That you didn't save us to be stuck and broken and to barely get by. But you've called us to grow and change. That you're inviting us into maturity. So we repent for the areas in which we are immature. We ask that you would shift our mindsets. We turn from our sins right now in Jesus' name. And we ask that you would set people in our lives that challenge us and accept us and love us and call us to be who you created us to be. Quietly pray in the spirit. to do as far as setting people free. And I think we're just going to go for it just take advantage of the faith in the room. So I feel like if you've been convicted, if you were convicted when we talked about habits that slowly destroy us, I'm not going to ask you to come up front or raise your hand, but what I'm going to ask you to do is to repent To voice your sorrow before the Father. Your regret is a more accurate word. Your regret for choosing things that harm you. Just begin to lay that regret at his feet in your own words. Repent is just a word that means change that you realize there's something that's wrong and you're going to change it. So just lay that before the Lord so we repent of our habits. We regret the things that we have done. And we receive your forgiveness. And we also receive your healing and your deliverance. Make that personal say, I receive your healing and your deliverance. We're no longer mere humans that don't have a say in our maturity. We have the Holy Spirit to draw us in to where He wants us to be. To so invite the Holy Spirit to continually draw you. So throughout this week, Holy Spirit, we invite you to draw us into the deep places of worship, that you would draw us into the Word, that you would highlight the things that we need to see, that you would continually mold us and shape us, So that we could present everyone a mature work before you. So just take a minute with the Lord. If you want to thank Him, thank Him. If you want to lay something at His feet, lay it down. Invite Him into every area. as we cross. My life glorifies the Lord, glorifies the Lord, the Lord is glorified in me. All of my life glorifies the Lord, glorifies the Lord. Lord, is glorified in me. So Father, we're so grateful for your challenges that lead to growth. We embrace them. We thank you for your acceptance, for your deliverance. We ask that your wisdom would be released in this place. And that we would be a people who continually engage and are led by your Spirit. Make your will among us clear that we can walk in it. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name,
1: amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We're glad that what the Lord is doing among us encourages you. For more info about the church, Follow us on Facebook or connect with us on Instagram. Visit com or come out and see us on a Sunday morning, 228 Ridge Avenue, Southerton, Pennsylvania.
2: I'm digging a well. I'm digging a well right here. I'm digging a well in the valley of my weeping. I'm digging a well in my teeth. I'm doing well right.